Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3, Chronicles of UK Salafism, an Insider Perspective. This particular episode shall focus on the year 2012, in which Brixton Mosque's leadership took unprecedented steps to lodge an official complaint to Saudi authorities regarding the conduct of some of their citizens and scholars who were involved in fueling the conflict among UK Salafis. The first letter I will refer to was one directed to the Sheikh who we held to be at the forefront of this conflict. And that was none other than Sheikh Dr. Mohammed bin Hadi al-Madkhali. The letter was dated the 18th of April and read as follows. After greeting him, we said, this letter is in response to a recent meeting held on the 24th of March in which you disparaged our masjid and community, Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah in London, United Kingdom. Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah, Brixton Masjid, since 1993 has been striving to follow the Quran, Sunnah and the way of the Salaf and implement this in its ethos. Moreover, Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah, contrary to what you have been ill-informed, maintain respect for all of our scholars of Ahl Sunnah. However, we neither adopt blind following of any scholar, nor do we demonstrate partisanship or fanaticism to any of them. Sheikh Muhammad, you were of those who visited us at our masjid in London in 1997, along with the Sheikh and Qadi Abdussalam Burgess, rahimahullah. In fact, Sheikh Abdussalam continued to visit us in London up until 2003, and some of us had the honour of visiting him at his own home in Riyadh up to his death in 2004. May Allah have mercy on him. While we acknowledge your efforts, we are shocked by your unfounded statements and feel oppressed by your recent speech about Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah, Brixton, London. We believe it was unjust to state that Brixton Masjid and some of its members are untruthful. And we kindly request that you retract this statement. A translation of your recent speech in English concerning Brixton Masjid has reached us that was posted on a website, Salafi Talk, dated 24th of March 2012. We then provide excerpts of what he said and continued, quote, As you know, representatives of Brixton Masjid have not visited you since 2003. We are therefore surprised by uncorroborated statements regarding the masjid's current status, i.e., quote, like the end result of that which occurred with those of Brixton Masjid in London, that they ended up with Abul Hassan, Ali Hassan and those types of people, close quote. Quoting from the letter again. We find it extremely troublesome and disingenuous that you have decided to link us with individuals who have no official or unofficial capacity in our masjid in London and who do not reside in our country, the United Kingdom. Abul Hassan al-Matrabi has not visited Brixton since he was involved in arbitrating between disputing Salafi organisations and compiling a subsequent agreement that was supported and endorsed in writing by Sheikh Rabi ibn Hadi in an effort to resolve the disputes that hindered a unified approach to delivering the dawah in the UK. Regarding Sheikh Ali Hassan al-Halabi, he is just one of the many shiuk that have visited us. We then listed a number of scholars who had visited to deliver conferences and seminars. Continuing with our letter. 
If we ended up with Ali Hassan, as you have incorrectly asserted in your recent speech, then the same must also be true of other Mashiach that we have also invited, or to quote your words, ended up with. While referring to this, we are fully aware of disagreements between some of the Mashiach, you included. We have tried to avoid such disputes in accordance with advice and guidance from erudite and renowned scholars like Dr. Wasiala Abbas, professor in Umul Qara University and the Sacred Mosque in Mecca. Unfortunately, your continuing acceptance of false information conveyed to you from individuals who themselves are considered unreliable and untruthful by many in the UK continues to cause confusion among youth as well as enmity and hatred. Despite the observations of those who are recognised in an official capacity by Saudi Arabia against the entities you support, you persist in relying upon reports that are not only incorrect and inaccurate, but also slanderous. The actual end result has been damage caused to the image of Salafia in the West, especially considering the challenges facing us as Muslim minorities in non-Muslim societies. Moving on to some final points of the letter. Quote, in view of the above, we respectfully conclude that in actuality, our end result is such that we would request that you desist speaking about Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah and its community in the derogatory manner you have chosen and retract it. This is particularly as you do not appear to have referred to reliable and substantiated reports from those who are actually up to date with our affairs. We will reiterate it has been many years since official representatives have met or spoken with you, and in reality, you know very little about Brixton Masjid community. Due to the seriousness of the issues that are to be addressed, copies of this letter are also being sent to the relevant authorities in Saudi Arabia. You continue to support and endorse individuals and, spe and specific organisations that have become renowned for causing problems and division among Salafis in the UK. We therefore trust you will agree that the Minister of Islamic Affairs, Sheikh Saleh al-Sheikh, the Office for the Committee of Major Scholars, the Islamic Affairs section in the Saudi Embassy in London, UK, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the Ministry of Interior's Ideological Security Department should at least be aware of your unsolicited speech about the affairs of specific Muslim communities in other countries, of which you either know little or have received bias unsubstantiated reports. The concluding paragraph read, Our reasons for sending this letter to the various official organisations in Saudi Arabia is in order to request that they thoroughly investigate this matter with a view to curtailing unwanted and unwarranted interference or meddling from uninvited outside parties who have no officially recognised or delegated jurisdiction to issue statements or edicts in our affairs. Such interference has caused division and conflict among Salafis within the societies in which we live and where we are trying earnestly to propagate the truth and efficacy of this religion. We also hope that the senior scholars can finally judge in these disputes and be made aware of the impact these disputes are having on the youth in the United Kingdom and elsewhere in the West. It is only right that a comprehensive picture of the true state of affairs be presented to them as opposed to decisions based on biased narrations. And we ended it, peace and blessings be upon you, and it was signed by the chairman at that time, Sheikh Kamaluddin, 
and the trustees and the Shura Management Committee members put their names to that particular letter. On the same date, 18th of April, we also penned a letter to Sheikh Dr. Saleh Al-Sheikh, Minister of Islamic Affairs. And it read as follows. Peace and blessings of Allah and his mercy be upon you. And it was addressed to your excellency, Dr. Saleh Al-Sheikh. We are writing to express our concern regarding the unwelcome involvement and meddling in Western communities affairs by a small number of Saudi teachers. These individuals continue to present themselves as religious authorities and are causing social tension and conflict, which is negatively impacting upon the reputation of Saudi Arabia. Unfortunately, owing to their level of activity and the way that they present themselves, some of our youth now incorrectly consider them to be the leading Saudi scholars, especially when it involves criticising and denigrating other religious leaders, communities and organisations that fail to adopt their views or standpoints. Their interference has caused division and enmity among Muslims in the West and created acrimonious disputes between mosques and communities fuelled by public statements and accusations. Brixton Mosque, a.k.a. Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah, is one such community in London. Our mosque was established over 20 years ago by a group of new Muslims. It has made a huge contribution to Dawah in London and developed good relationships with all parts of society. We have been a bastion of moderate Salafi Dawah against extremist forces. We have stood firm against all forms of extremism from groups such as Hizbut Tahrir, Al-Muhajirun and Al-Qaeda to the followers of Takfiri individuals like Abdullah Al-Faisal and Abu Qatada. We consider the meddling of such Saudi individuals, the slander, insults and personal criticism as another form of extremism dressed up in Salafi language. This situation has continued for too long. Throughout the last 20 years, we have tried to steer a positive path away from the distraction of such individuals to focus on offering something useful to our community while setting a good example to our society. Something needs to change. Recently, Dr. Mohammed bin Hadi al-Madkali from Medina made some slanderous and derogatory allegations against the mosque and its members to a media outlet belonging to a Birmingham-based mosque. This came as a surprise, especially as we have had no direct communication with him since 2003. His comments are already, once again, having a detrimental effect on our community. They are not only unfounded, but false. Hence our sincere request that they be investigated and decisive action be taken. This type of behaviour, which continues to emanate from a small number of Saudi individuals, is also impacting upon the broader reputation of Saudi Arabia and our shared religious discourse. What is more surprising is that those involved do not represent any official religious body, nor do they have any remit to issue statements or judgments of any kind, let alone in third countries. We remain ready to provide Your Excellency with any additional information and references as required, including from official bodies. We also stand ready to raise this issue with the Saudi Ministries of Foreign Affairs and Interior, should Your Excellency so advise. And we ended so yours sincerely by the same group of trustees and Shura committee members and signed by our chairman again uh, at the time, Mohammed Kamaluddin.
I also penned a letter to Sheikh Mohammed bin Hadi on a personal basis to place him on notice that if he didn't bring evidence of the slanderous accusation against me, that I would institute legal proceedings under the Sharia courts in Saudi Arabia against him. My letter was dated the 25th of April and I will read excerpts of it now. I started by greeting him and the following, quote, Noble Sheikh, I'm writing to clarify that I heard your speech in an audio file accusing me and my brother Abu Haja and Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah Brixton of not being truthful and that our affair has ended up with Abu Hassan. Here, I would like to clarify the reality of the fear to you and also receive some clarification from you for what you have said, which amounts to oppression against me and the masjid. Firstly, you mentioned that I and Abu Haja visited you on many occasions, but the truth is that we visited you only three or four times and none of these visits had anything to do with Abul Hassan whatsoever or any other individuals. The visits were about the relationship between Masjid Brixton and Salafi publications in Birmingham. You advised me in one of these visits to contact Abu Khadija when I returned to Britain in order to rectify what is between us. Allah is a witness that I carried out your advice by calling Salafi publications on a number of occasions in order to speak with Abu Khadija, only that every time I called, I was told he was travelling for dawah, while they were aware that I had clarified the reason for calling them, that you requested that I do so. However, I did not get any positive response from them, and I sent more than one message to you through some of the students and Abu Haja when he visited you clarifying that I tried my best to do what you wanted by seeing Abu Khadija for rectification. I also received confirmation that my message reached you verbally and a man is not blamed after trying. Secondly, we already mentioned to you previously and we, we, and we reaffirm now that Masjid Ibn Taymiyyah takes wisdom into consideration when giving dawah to Allah which necessitates that we do not delve into affairs that the people of knowledge have differed upon and that we distance our small community from the causes of splitting, such as the affair of Abul Hassan. We sought the advice of those whom we met from the people of knowledge, specifically those who are aware of the affairs of our community, such as Sheikh Abdus Salam Burgess, may Allah have mercy upon him, who continued to visit us until he passed away. Likewise, Sheikh Fahad Al-Fuhayd, Sheikh Wasiullah Abbas and Sheikh Muhammad al-Maliki advised us that it should not affect the progress of our dawah in our specific area, especially in relation to calling non-Muslims to Islam. Thirdly, we continue to connect ourselves with the people of knowledge and all praises due to Allah. And each time one of them would visit Britain, they would visit us and give beneficial lectures to our community. Amongst them are, and I listed the same scholars with the addition of Sheikh Hamoud al-Tawajri. I'll come to the concluding part now where I ask for clarification from Sheikh Muhammad. Quote, This is what I wanted to clarify to you. As for the clarification I would like from you, one, your statement, may Allah forgive you, that we would sit with you and then return to Britain and do the opposite of what we agreed upon. We want you to provide the evidence for this so that we may correct ourselves. May Allah grant you as well as us success. Two, your statement, may Allah forgive you, that I am not truthful. 
This is a major accusation that has not been directed to me since I embraced Islam, and you have harmed me greatly. If it were other than you who said it, it would not have had such an effect. But it is because you are from the people of knowledge, and it is not befitting for you to make such haphazard statements. This is from the attributes of the hypocrites, as is well known to you. And in reality, the harm that has been afflicted on the Salafi Dawah in our country from the likes of such speech is a lot greater than the harm that was afflicted and continues to be received from the likes of Salafi publications. This is why I feel that it is necessary that you clarify this in paper, in writing. And if we do not receive a response from you within a week from the date that you receive this letter, I regret to inform you that I will present our case to the courts of Saudi Arabia for judgment through some lawyers. I will also write through our embassy to the custodian of the two sacred mosques about the harm that is being caused to Islam in our country due to your speech. I ended the letter by asking that Allah grant him as well as ourselves success in reaching rectification and this and the other letter written by the masjid leadership was uh, were personally hand-delivered to his eldest son, as he was unavailable at the time, um, in Medina, at his home. We didn't leave it there. And on the 3rd of May, I travelled together with Sheikh Mohammed Maliki to Mecca to visit Sheikh Wasiallah Abbas in his home to pose some questions from the masjid to him regarding a revisionist account that had been written by Abu Junaid Yusuf Bowers of the Salafi publications cult the previous year. And we asked a number of questions and the audio of the English translation is available and the link to that will be provided. So I will only go through some excerpts of the questions and answers. The first question we asked was... What are the conditions for the acceptance of a trustworthy historian according to Ahl Hadith? And the Sheikh gave quite an extensive reply to that. The second question was, quote, Do we have a Sharia right to defend the history surrounding our masjid specifically and our community generally? Additionally, is it permitted for us to mention the person who openly slandered us and our Salafi legacy in front of general people during the conference held at the Salafi Masjid in Birmingham. Sheikh Wasiullah answered by quoting a verse in the 16th chapter, Surah An-Nahl, verse 126, before stating, quote, It is permitted for a person to defend himself. Rather, it is obligatory for a person to defend himself if he finds a harm against his honour and self. Close quote. He then quoted a narration regarding the Prophet ﷺ when he was seen with his wife Sophia and the clarification he provided then. And then he continued, quote, It is obligatory for a person to defend his honour. And if he does not, then in reality, false propaganda could do its damage and consume a person. For you have been oppressed. Yet the first step we want, even though they are opposers, however, they are upon Salafia. And if they are, the first thing we request is that they announce their retraction from these words. If they do not announce their retraction, you have a right to announce a refutation of them 
and their lies openly and publicly. They have to be either met or corresponded with via certified mail so that in the refutation it can be said we met if you did meet or you say that we sent him a letter which reached him as it was delivered via verified means and he did not retract and for that reason we announced that this was a lie against us, deception to the ummah and sometimes this is a must for you to do. Naam. I won't go into question three. That is a general question as well. But I want to refer to the final question in which he provided advice. And that question went as follows. What is the advice for those who wish to conduct a history? And his answer was, quote, Make it your custom that if you do not find a verified report, do not spread it. However, if it reaches you from so-and-so that he said about Abdul Haq Baker, brother Muhammad al-Maliki, or wasi Allah, something, then it is possible for you to go to him and say, did you say this yourself, oh my brother? A person is not to spread all that which is said. And you have to verify, and if you cannot verify, then do not speak, so that you will be on the safe ground in your religion. My advice for these situations, Barakallah Fikum, is always that you do not begin to attack anyone. And I advise you, just as I advised the brothers of Salafi publications when I saw them, visited them and sat with them, I saw that they distribute translated works of Shakespeare, Baz, Uthaymin and others, and I said to them, suffice yourselves with this, and do not enter into other matters, then you will be upon good. Know that if one of you was to commit zina, there are other groups who, if one of them fell into zina, they would keep quiet about it. Yet you, when you find a word, even if it is light from some of your brothers, you spread it around. I advise you and all brothers who would adhere to Salafia that errors occur from everyone and it is not befitting to doubt if someone is Salafi due to some words. An error remains an error. A view remains a view. And the remaining issue... And the remaining issues in which we disagree with him over, then we are with him and we benefit from him. As for what the students of knowledge do during these days, that when a person makes even one mistake, they say, this is an innovator. For all of this, we say, leave it all to the ulama and do not at all indulge in them, you or others. This is what I always advise you and those from Salafi Publications. However, those from Salafi publications, it is as if they enjoy dropping people who have righteous actions. If they are dropped, they had good reward with Allah, inshallah. Also, we exhort ourselves that if we see some errors from them, those from Salafi publications, such as in their fatawa and so forth, so correct these. Yet, as long as they cause doubts among the Salafi community in all the lands such as Britain, America and France, then this is something about which we fear Allah will punish them for in this life and the next. This is why I advise them to keep quiet about some errors from brothers and not remove those brothers who make errors from the realm of dawah on account of these errors. In the past, the imams had their own views and they would critique each other for erroneous views, but they did not use to drop each other and say that they should not be listened to. They would bring attention to the error and the error is not to be taken, yet the remainder from him is sound. So especially in those lands, 
make your way among Salafis in this way and be a force against the Shia, Qadianis, etc. Jazakallahu khairan. So these were the answers from Sheikh Wasiallah Abbas. And we conveyed those to our brothers in the management of Brixton Mosque. They translated, transcribed, and then prepared a subsequent letter for Yusuf Bowers. And in accordance with what the Sheikh had mentioned, some of them travelled up to Birmingham on the 7th of May to deliver a letter to Abu Junaid, Yusuf Bowers. The letter, dated the same day, read as follows. Dear Brother Yusuf, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Based on advice we have received, it is prudent to write to you regarding your quote-unquote discourse last September 2011, entitled The History of the Salafi Dawah in the UK. In view of the gross errors, inaccuracies and slanderous statements contained in your discourse, we felt that you should be given the opportunity to review what you said and thereafter publicly retract on audio or in writing the majority of what you said about Brixton Masjid and its history. In the event of our not receiving a retraction according to the terms stipulated above, within seven days from the date of this letter, we will proceed to take whatever appropriate action deemed necessary to resolve the matter and also address the inaccuracies contained in what can only be correctly described as your story about Brixton Masjid's history. We then listed some points for him to consider and awaited his response. And I want to describe what happened and what transpired when our colleagues went up to visit him. They called him and he refused to leave his home. He was very apprehensive and possibly nervous and possibly afraid. And he requested that the letter be left in the shop he owned with an assistant working there. That was subsequently done. Towards the end of that month, I received a call from my colleague in Riyadh who had conveyed the letter to Sheikh Saleh al-Sheikh, confirming that the secretary of the Sheikh had contacted him and acknowledged receipt of the letter. The Sheikh had seen the letter and it was being taken seriously. And a question was asked as to what we expected the Ministry of Islamic Affairs and possibly the Permanent Committee of Scholars, because it was going to be discussed amongst them, could do. Me hearing that, I decided to contact some of the students of knowledge from Canada, from the US and from the UK, some of whom were in Saudi Arabia, some had returned to their countries, highlighting this golden opportunity to provide answers to the Ministry of Islamic Affairs and possibly the Lajna, outlining how these affairs could be rectified and managed effectively with their guidance. Surprisingly, I saw a reluctance and again, I dare say, a fear for them to articulate anything in this regard. Frustrated, I penned my own points and sent them up to my colleague in Riyadh. And I cannot confirm whether he conveyed them to Sheikh Saleh al-Sheikh. Um, 
because I didn't discuss it further with him. And also because it was only my points and recommendations. And that carried less weight in my estimation than if graduates from Medina had conveyed some points for consideration. But I will highlight some of these points that I wrote on the 3rd of June. And one of the recommendations or suggestions was, quote, prevent the travel of these shuyuk to the West to attend conferences or seminars unless they are travelling in an official capacity, authorised by the relevant authorities. Some of the other points that I mentioned was to censure these shuyuk who are nevertheless unauthorised to give fatawa or advice about issues of the communities and criticism of individuals and organisations in the West. Another point that I highlighted was that instead of these shuyuk holding private gatherings with these individuals and these individuals providing loaded questions to the shuyuk, that these gatherings take place in recognised places of teaching, of learning, in a masjid, for example, or a centre. And that all other issues as it related to speaking and warning against others should be curtailed. I also mentioned yet again, these shuyuk should be prevented from speaking about people from the West because they know little if nothing about them or their affairs, except for what they are informed by often unreliable and untruthful narrators with ulterior motives. I highlighted that those expats from among these um, communities working or studying in Saudi Arabia, if it was established that they were conveying these rumours and these false narratives to the shuyuk in order to garner or obtain fatawa against opponents, that these individuals should be warned in their positions for spreading such um, false rumours and, and misquoting and misrepresenting the edicts that they received from these scholars. Another point I highlighted, that, quote, the relevant authorities should state who is authorised to represent and speak on behalf of Saudi Arabia on matters relating to the West that this is very important. A general recommendation I requested was for the Kibar to make public addresses to the Salafis in the UK and um, the West more generally, and maybe have some sessions with us in education, guiding um, and development. One of the requests I made as well was that if the most senior scholar amongst these scholars involved in the affairs of the West, Sheikh Rabir, Hafizahullah, could be addressed by peers in Riyadh as after speaking with him, the more junior cohorts and his followers would end up following suit. I also asked as a recommendation that Mashaykh be censured from denigrating recognised and official Saudi scholars like Sheikh Wasilah Abbas or claiming that more junior elements like Sheikh Mohammed Hadi were better informed on the reality than Kibar Ulama and senior scholars like Sheikh Abdul Muslim Al Abad. So these were my recommendations. There were 20 in number. I've only given some of the more pertinent ones. And again, as I've mentioned, 
I'm uncertain as to whether my colleague delivered those because it was just from me. And I didn't believe that it was sufficient that only I present my recommendations in the scheme of things. Moving on now, I'd like to refer to other aspects of that year. And one was the publication of a co-authored book that was edited by Professor Basia Spalik entitled Counterterrorism, Community-Based Approaches to Preventing Terror Crime. And I had contributed a chapter, number four, and that was called Engagement and Partnership in Community-Based Approaches to Counterterrorism and published by Palgrave Macmillan. I will now move to some of the events of that year, both local, national and international. And when reviewing that, it seemed that 2012 was quite a bloody year with the amount of killings and conflicts that were taking place. I will mention some of those, but some other um, non-violent aspects, if you like. On the 28th of January, there were bomb attacks in Kano, Nigeria, which killed 185 people. And on the 25th of February, the Syrian army killed 100 innocent civilians in Homs and Hama. On the 11th of March, a US soldier killed 16 innocent civilians in Afghanistan. The 12th of April saw a ceasefire come into effect in Syria. However, four days later on the 16th, the Syrian army killed 55 people despite UN presence on the ground to uphold the ceasefire. On the 24th of June, Mohamed Morsi became the president and was sworn in on the 30th of that month. On the 27th of July, we saw the opening of the 30th Olympic Games in London. And on a lighter note, the 21st of December saw Gangnam Style by Sai become the first video on YouTube to reach 1 billion views. As this episode draws to a conclusion, it is important to highlight the challenges that some Salafi communities faced from socio-religious and socio-political standpoints. And these perspectives were within the context of the wider Muslim community. So, for example, there were three elements to these standpoints in which we found ourselves. At one end of the socio-religious spectrum, Salafi communities continued to combat and counter the takfiri extremist propaganda and ideology. However, closer to home, some were tackling the problem of the Salafi publication's cult and its divisive strategies. And then at the polarised liberal side of this socio-religious spectrum, there was the socio-political element in which Quilliam Foundation had to be confronted due to their antagonistic approach to the wider Muslim community generally and Salafi communities specifically. And dealing with the latter, I want to refer to a foreword that I had written for Abdelhak Ade, the press officer and member of Brixton Mosque Management's critiquing of Aquilium Foundation publication entitled Cheering for Osama. 
how jihadists use internet discussion forums. And I wrote, quote, Muslims continue to be the focus of attention for Western governments, security services, media and academic circles alike. While this no longer comes as a surprise to many Muslim communities, what is surprising are the efforts of a few among them to try and cause paradigmatic shifts of the wider public's perception of what should constitute Islam in the West and British Muslim identity. The Quilliam Foundation is among such entities involved in an apparent strategy to redefine what represents a more palatable version of Islam. Unfortunately, as will be seen from this particular critique of the Quilliam Foundation publication, Cheering for Osama, much of their work is either ill-informed or poorly researched as it relates to the understanding and interpretation of Islam, its principles and practices. While claiming adherence to scholarly, academic and traditional sources that purportedly support their polemical positions, their research frequently fails to stand up to the rigour required by acceptable academic standards. Close quote. I then discussed aspects of sensationalism and the audience that the Quilliam Foundation continue to pander to. And the concluding part of this episode will be in relation to the advice that emanated from the Permanent Committee of Scholars two years after our approach in 2012 and complaint, as well as concerns regarding the conduct of some of the scholars and teachers mentioned earlier in this, in this discourse. And on the 10th of March, I received a call from my colleague in Riyadh, 10th of March 2014, that is, asking had I seen what had been issued by the permanent committee, and I, I confirmed that I hadn't. So he sent me an English translation entitled The Call to Unification and Discarding Division and Different. A clarification from the Permanent Committee for Knowledge, Research and Religious Rulings regarding the call to unification and discarding division and different. That was the title. And I will only go to the essence of this advice. It was preceded by verses of the Quran and Hadith and narrations exhorting unity. And then they concluded their statement by stating, quote, And indeed we have come to know that some of the new Muslims in the lands of the West, when they see this differing, it makes them have doubt and uncertainty regarding the ability of the Islamic religion to unify the ranks of the Muslims and bring them together. Thus, this differing is a fitna, an evil test, that has divided the Muslims. It has prevented people from being guided to the religion of Islam, and it has busied the students of knowledge, thus distracting them from the da'wah, calling the people to Allah, and conveying the inheritance of the Prophet, peace and blessings be upon him. And the permanent committee calls all of those who are callers to Allah, and also the imams of the masjids, to unify the Muslims and to cleanse their hearts and to unite their ranks. The committee also warns them against taking part in dividing up the Muslims and planting seeds of enmity amongst them and busying them with oppressing and hating each other. For verily, whoever calls to disobedience to Allah, then the burden of that will be upon him as a sin, and also the burden of whoever acts according to it until the day of resurrection. The Permanent Committee for Knowledge-Based Research and Religious Rulings 
and then it's signed by the members of the Lajna, as it were. Unsurprisingly, again, this had little, if no impact whatsoever on the division among the Salafis in the West. It did nothing to quell the tensions. It did nothing to thwart those who were propelling and fueling the tensions. And we only have to look at where we are in 2020 to see the state of affairs.